0: Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 53. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witness of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. The word of the Lord.
1: All right. Tonight we are finishing the Gospel of Luke. I will never preach from the Gospel of Luke again at Cornerstone. I'm just kidding. Hopefully, we'll be back at some point. You never know. Uh, It's been a great Gospel, I've really enjoyed it. but tonight we'll wrap it up. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for this gospel that tells us about your son, Christ Jesus, and everything he has done. Uh, Lord, although we might be done with this book for a little bit, may it not be done with us. Uh, may we continue to be molded and shaped by your word and by this story. In Jesus' name, amen. In 2009, uh, the minister of the first Unitarian Church of Portland, Oregon, Marilyn Sewell, interviewed one of the most famous atheists of her day, Christopher Hitchens. Now she's a Unitarian and Unitarians do not believe in the Trinity, Uh, they do not believe in the resurrection, Uh, they don't really believe in hell, they believe that pretty much everyone goes to heaven. Now, that's very simplistic, uh, but you could talk to a Unitarian and check that if you want. Uh, And They are considered theologically liberal. Now, we at Cornerstone are much more theologically conservative. We do believe in the Trinity. We do believe in the resurrection. We believe uh, in salvation by God's grace, but it's through faith as we repent and put our faith in Christ Jesus. Now, Hitchens, Christopher Hitchens, doesn't believe any of those things, right? He doesn't believe in a heaven, He believes that when you die, you die. When you're gone, you're gone. Now, uh, Christopher Hitchens did actually pass away. He died of cancer in December 2011. Uh, But at the time of this interview, he was very popular. He had written a book a couple years prior called God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. So it's really interesting that there's an interview between a kind of more liberal pastor, a mainline Unitarian pastor, and this atheist. Uh, And in this interview, uh, she asked him a question. I want to read this question uh, for you. Uh, He said, The religion you cite in your book is generally the fundamentalist faith of various kinds. I'm a liberal Christian, and I don't take the stories from the Scripture literally. I don't believe in the doctrine of atonement, that Jesus died for our sins, for example. Do you make any distinction between fundamentalist faith and more liberal religion? In other words... Let me just rephrase that for you. She doesn't believe in things like the resurrection, so would he, an atheist, kind of treat her a little bit differently than he might treat someone who who takes their religion and their dogma very seriously? And this is Christopher Hitchens' answer. He said, "'I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah, was the Christ and Messiah, and that he rose again from the dead and by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven,' you're really not in any meaningful sense a Christian. So he's saying you can't be a liberal Christian and not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Then you're just doing something else. And if you read the rest of the interview, it's fascinating. Uh, they, they really are very uh, similar in their belief system. And kind of the, uh, one of the, the main uh, cores of their belief is that they don't believe in things like the resurrection. They reject the idea that Jesus died and rose again. That's their response. Tonight we're talking about how to respond to the resurrection of Christ. Did Christ really rise from the grave? I want you to think about that for a moment. A person died, a person came back to life, and not like with an AED or anything like that, but after three days. Do you really believe that? And what's your response inside your heart? Well, as we look at the gospel, we're seeing different responses to the resurrection as we wrap up the, the gospel of Luke. Now, Peter claimed to have seen Jesus. We, we read about that last week in Luke 24, verse 34. And then the two men on the road to Emmaus, they also encountered the risen Lord, right? Right? But the other ten disciples, Judas is dead, so there's Peter plus the other ten, so the eleven, uh, they're, they're not so sure. They haven't encountered the risen Lord yet. They're still fearful and afraid. And yet they hear this news that he's risen from the grave, and then Jesus is about to appear to them resurrected. And they have to decide, how am I going to respond to this encounter with Christ Jesus? And so I want us to look at the text, to look at four responses to the resurrection of Jesus. Our first one tonight is peace, not fear. I believe is the, this is the response that we should have as, uh, as we put our faith and trust in Christ Jesus. Now, what's the first thing that Jesus says when he encounters the disciples behind those locked doors, he says, peace be with you. Now that implies that they did not have peace, <laughs> that they were on edge, that they were terrified. And when if we look at verse 37, it says they were startled and frightened. When they saw him, they thought he was a ghost. He says, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your mind? The gospel of John actually tells us that they had locked the door. Now, you lock a door, right? You lock your door at night in your house because you are potentially afraid of what could enter your house, right? But their fear is much more amplified than that because their leader has just been crucified, has just been killed. And so they're afraid, well, this could happen to us. And so they lock the door, they're terrified, they're afraid, and then Jesus appears to them, and they're even more fearful. He's standing right in front of them, and they're afraid. But in in, in the face of all of this, what does Jesus do? He says, peace be with you. He offers them peace in the face of fear and uncertainty. In the Old Testament, the word for peace is shalom, and that's really the, the type of peace that Jesus is offering. Shalom is not just like, okay, there's nothing bad happening. It's, a, it's not just an, an absence of, of evil or bad things. It's also the presence of good things. It's the presence of a, a good Uh, and lasting relationship with God. It's the, the presence of wholeness, of blessing, of flourishing. Shalom, in other words, as one author writes, is the way things ought to be. The way things ought to be. And Jesus is offering this to his disciples. He's saying, through me, through my resurrection, things can be how they ought to be. They can be really good. Shalom is the opposite of hiding Behind a locked door. (laughs) That's not shalom. That's not peace. So I want us to think about our own lives for a second and think about where we need peace, where we need to experience this biblical shalom. What doors are we hiding behind? What what doors have we locked? Because it's just too hard. We can't take it anymore. We've locked our heart away from God, or we've locked our heart away from others because we have unrest and we're afraid. Well, Christ Jesus wants to enter into your life and offer you peace. Offer you that shalom. No matter what it is that you're wrestling with, he can offer you peace through Christ Jesus, through himself, through his death and resurrection. He offers you first peace with God. And then as God comes and works in your relationships, he offers you peace with others. Now we want shalom, right? We want peace with God. We want peace with God. With others, and there's only one way we can have that, and that's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, our first response, or maybe our first reaction, or, or uh, what, what Lord willing, through the Holy Spirit, will happen is that we will receive peace and not fear through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we can respond in other ways as well. What's our second response? And we see this in our passage as well. The second response is belief, not doubt. Belief, not doubt. Now Jesus sets out to conquer their fear by inviting them to touch his hands and, 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 and look at his feet. And at first, they don't believe. They're too overwhelmed. You ever heard that expression, it's too good to be true? That's what they think. It's too good to be true. Yeah, we all see you standing here in front of us, but it's too good to be true. So they don't believe at first. And so Jesus does something just very practical. He takes some food, he asks for some food, and they give him some some broiled fish, and he eats it. Just proving to them, I'm really here. (laughs) The resurrection is really true. I'm really present. Believe in me. Believe in what I have done. Don't doubt. Don't be afraid. And so I want to ask you, do you believe in the resurrection? What's your response, your reaction to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You don't get to touch him. You don't get to see him yet. You don't get to watch him eat fish. (laughs) But do you believe? I hope so. Back in January 2009, uh, so the interview uh, that I talked about was in December of 2009, but in January of 2009, I attended, uh, back in Colorado at CU Boulder, uh, I attended a debate uh, between the atheist Christopher Hitchens and another famous Christian speaker. There was probably like six to eight hundred people in the audience. It was pretty big. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Here's this famous atheist. Let's go hear him talk. Let's hear the debate. So the debate started. and during the debate, Hitchens argued uh, that people will believe an illusion because they think it is true. In other words, people will believe in things like the resurrection because they think it's true not because they actually know it's true. But he also gave just examples of a a wide variety of religions where people believe in something and they align their actions with that something because they think it's true, but it can't all be right. It can't all be true. He talked about Christians, about Muslims, about Mormons. He gave the specific example of suicide bombers, which is a pretty serious thing, but they think they have the truth, and so they act on that. Now, Believing in something does not make it true, right? He, he's correct in that sense. But I think he missed something. Now, there was a question and answer session afterwards, so you could kind of come up to the mic and, and ask. And I was like on the second floor balcony. I was like, hey, this is my chance to ask Christopher Hitchens a question. So I, I went and I got in line. I think I wrote down my question. And people were asking a couple questions. And I actually got the opportunity to ask him a question. I was surprised. I was like, oh, I didn't think this was going to happen. And so I came up, and this is the question I asked him. I said, you said it is not unusual for people to die for a myth, an illusion. However, historians agree that the 12 disciples were either maimed or killed for their beliefs. How then, being first-generation believers, would they willingly die and be tortured for something they knew to be a lie? I don't know if you followed me, but the point I was trying to make is that people will suffer and die and do crazy things for things they think that, are, that they believe to be true, but they will rarely suffer and die for something they know to be false. And if the disciples uh, were willing to suffer and die for something they knew to be false, then they were absolutely crazy. It doesn't make sense for them to do that. And so that's a little different than his thought that, that people just believe in an illusion. Now, Lee Strobel, he's, uh, so this is kind of a apologetics that I'm talking about tonight, like reasons to believe in God, reasons to believe in Christ Jesus and the witness there. Uh, he wrote this in The Case for Christ. He said this, People will die for their religious beliefs if they sincerely believe they're true. But people won't die for their religious beliefs if they know their beliefs are false. Now, we give out copies of this book in the back at the Welcome Center, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. If you haven't read it yet, I do recommend it. I've read it, and it really is good. It gives you some uh, great reasons to believe and trust in the the Bible and the story of Christ Jesus. Now, how did Hitchens respond to my question? Well, he came to the altar, he repented, he put his faith in Christ, right? He was like, lead me to the Lord. No, that's not what happened at all. Uh, he, he answered by saying, well, historians do not generally agree that the 12 disciples were martyrs. And that was his response. I was just like, oh. Okay, well, I'm not going to argue with him. I just went and sat down, uh, and I, I didn't list, I didn't like have in my back pocket kind of a response to that because we do know that there are early historians outside of the Bible. So the Bible is itself like a historical account, but for some reason we like to just throw the Bible out. But, the, but outside the Bible, there are early historians that affirm that the, the, the disciples suffered and died for what they believe. One of them is Clement of Rome. He wrote in the first century that Peter suffered and died. Peter, through unrighteous envy, endured not one or two but numerous labors. And when he had at length suffered martyrdom, he departed to the place of glory due to him. About 96 AD. So this is, this is early on. You see, he's talking to direct witnesses or, or he's seen it. And so this is an outside external. This is just a good reason to trust that the Bible's account is true. But there's another one. Another early writer is Ignatius of Antioch, who's also just a couple years after this. He talks about the the 11 suffering and dying. And when Jesus came unto unto them who were with Peter, he said unto them, Take, handle me, and see that I am not a spirit without a body. He's talking about the same text as us tonight. And straight away they touched him and believed, being convinced by his flesh and his spirit. On this account also they despised death and were found superior to death. In other words, they were willing to suffer and die for what they experienced. Now, in the debate, the Christian speaker he added, he kind of gave his own response. He said, The real question was that why would the disciples or any early Christians spread false rumors? they knew were lies, if they knew those rumors would cost them their lives. Now, it it makes sense for the disciples to do this if they would uh, get more wealth or power. I don't know if they were as concerned with fame as we are in our culture, but it would make sense if they got those things. But they didn't. They lived lives of poverty and self-denial for this message. They went from hiding behind locked doors to being willing to lay down their lives for this message now Hitchens he, he kind of got agitated I think maybe the most agitated from my question uh, uh, at this debate uh, who knows really uh, but he said his response to the uh, the Christian debater he said I don't know what they were why they did that I don't know what was going through their heads how should I know what they were thinking see so there's only three possible responses uh, reasons that they would be willing to suffer and die uh, for something that Uh, for for the resurrection. The first is that they all had like a group hallucination, right? That they all imagined or saw the exact same thing. Hallucinations don't work that way. They're not a a group thing. They're an individual thing. The other option is that they made it up and were lying, and we've already talked about that doesn't make sense. The third option, which perhaps is the simplest and the best option, is that they were just telling the truth. They actually saw the risen Lord in it, Transformed their lives and made them willing to suffer and die for Christ Jesus. I think that's the best answer. I think that's the truth. They were willing to leave the safety of locked doors and go out and suffer and die for Jesus. So, our first response to the resurrection is peace, not fear, and belief, not doubt. The third is sharing, not silence. Jesus again reminded his disciples, like he had on the road to Emmaus, of why the scriptures point to him, why the scriptures matter. Verse 44 says, He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that it's written about me, in the law of Moses, <clears throat> the prophets, and the Psalms. Now, you can study your whole Bible, your whole life, and never believe in Christ Jesus. Uh, I'm sure Terry is around many of those people that spend their life studying the scriptures and do not know Jesus. This is why verse 45 is so key, and it's not just key for those people, it's key for each one of us as well. Then he, then Jesus, opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. If you want to understand the scriptures, you need to ask, Lord Open my mind, open my heart so that I can understand. And then God places gifted teachers in your life, gifted uh, uh, pastors and just brothers and sisters in Christ that can help you understand and you wrestle through it together and you begin to grow and you begin to mature in your faith and you begin to get it, you begin to understand. And see, in order to share the message of Christ Jesus, we need to understand it. This doesn't mean we have to understand it perfectly. Like, you don't have to be a Bible scholar or a pastor to tell others about Jesus. You can do it with just a limited understanding that I know I'm sinful, I'm broken, I need forgiveness, so do you. That's like the the whole message of scriptures, and it's pointing to Christ Jesus and our need for him. You can share as you begin to understand, as Christ opens your heart and opens your mind. Now, here at the end of the gospel, Luke gives us a call. He sends us out to share. He challenges us not to remain silent. This call is kind of like the Great Commission of Luke. Maybe some of you are familiar with the idea of the Great Commission of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, That's this very famous commission where Jesus sends out the, the disciples. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you've Listen to a sermon perhaps on missions or outreach or evangelism. You might have heard that text preached. Well, in Luke, we also find a great commission. I don't think it's any less than Matthew's commission. And here, it's in verses 46 through 48. I put it on the screen, but you can look in your Bibles too. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now Matthew's Great Commission centers on going and making disciples. And Luke's centers on a variety of things. Just five points that I want to draw out of his Great Commission. The first is the importance of Christ's resurrection if there is no resurrection if that's just a metaphorical thing or it didn't ever happen then there is no point to christianity but we know that it did we know by faith <laughs> but we know and our and our and our reason for belief is based on good evidence uh, number two the call to repentance and offer of forgiveness this is like the kind of the the stern but gentle heart of the great commission of luke Uh, Jesus challenges us that we are sinful and we are broken, but we can receive forgiveness uh, through salvation, through trusting in him. The third, the gospel is for all nations. That's Greek, panta ta ethne, so all the ethnicities, all the nations. This means that the gospel, this message about Jesus Christ is not just for white or black. It's for all people from all tribes and all nations. And this is why missions as a church is so important and that we need to keep uh, funding and sending people out to share the gospel with the world because there are still people out there that have never even heard the name of Jesus, that have never even heard the Bible. They need to hear. And how about this, that Christ sends his followers out. Now, he sends the 12 out or the 11 out in, in the Great Commission of Luke, but he's also sending us out. Now, he's sending some of our teenagers to France this summer, right? Like Christ is sending you through our church. But he also sends us out. He sends us to our front lines, the places where, where we live and work naturally and every day. Uh, Christian ministry isn't just about church. It's about wherever God has placed you. That's the place that, that God says, come and, and glorify me by doing good work, by working ethically, but also by working evangelistically, by sharing the gospel, by, by talking about Christ when given the opportunities through the Holy Spirit. be praying for your co-workers. That's why uh, helping film like a frontline ministry uh, documentary is just so important. And then uh, fifth, we need the Holy Spirit uh, to empower us. Like we can't fulfill this, we can't go, we can't uh, do everything that Christ wants us to do without Christ, without Christ's Holy Spirit, without God's Holy Spirit just empowering us. We can't do it apart from God. And we're going to hear more about that in uh, the book of Acts later. As followers of Jesus, we're called to share and not be silent. Based on my own life, sometimes uh, I think silence becomes our normal mode of operation. And so I want to challenge each and every one of us tonight to To pray that the Holy Spirit would make you uncomfortable with your own silence. Just pray that prayer. Would I be uncomfortable with my own silence? And would you give me opportunities to share about Jesus, Heavenly Father? So our first three responses are peace, not fear, belief, not doubt, and sharing, not silence. And this leads us to our final response, praise, (coughs) praise, and more praise. When you encounter the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that, that, that Jesus rose from the dead, and anyone that puts their, their faith and trust in Christ Jesus, what does it make you want to do? It makes you want to praise God if, you, if, you're, really, if you're really grasping it. Bless God. And this is what happens with them. They were, in verse 40, 52 and 53, they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Our response to the resurrection is praise. As we recognize that one day, if you know and trust Christ, you're going to rise from the grave. And I think sometimes in our culture, although we like glorify death in a weird way through our media, we don't actually deal with death in our reality. We don't just like look at death and, and kind of wrestle with it. Maybe you have, personally. Hopefully we are as a church, but... When we realize how awful death is, then when we encounter the resurrection, it's like, wow, here's the antidote. Here's the solution to death. Resurrection. That Christ will kind of heal the broken relationships that have been separated by death of any and all who trust in Christ Jesus. There's so much hope in that. So as we think about our responses to the resurrection of Jesus, we respond by peace, not fear; belief, not doubt; sharing, not silence; and praise, praise, and more praise. Now, as I was finishing writing up my sermon, I, I stumbled upon a sermon illustration. I'm preachingtoday.com. That's like a place where you can go when you're like, "I need a sermon illustration." But this one was actually like perfect, and I'd already written uh, uh, most of my sermon. Uh, And I'd already talked about Christopher Hitchens and, like, The Sinner. And this illustration is about Christopher Hitchens. So I was like, well, it's a Christopher Hitchens kind of sermon, I guess, for whatever reason. Uh, So I'm just going to read this closing illustration, and then the worship team will come up and we'll we'll continue uh, in worship. The publicist for the late author and debater Christopher Hitchens asked Christian author Larry Taunton to arrange a series of debates between Hitchens, an outspoken atheist and Christian thinkers. We've already heard about some of those. Over the ensuing years, Hitchens and Taunton developed an unlikely friendship. Hitchens stayed in Taunton's home, and prior to Hitchens' death from cancer, the two friends took two long road trips across America. Now here's how Taunton, the, the Christian author, describes what happens on those trips. My mind goes back to the Shenandoah. The skies are clear. The autumn leaves are translucent and the early afternoon sun and the road ahead of us is open. In a strong, clear voice, Christopher is reading from the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John. Reaching the 25th and 26th verses, his face lights up with recognition. John eleven twenty-five and 26 say this. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Hitchens stopped reading. He said, I know this one too. I do not recall its connection with the resurrection of Lazarus. It's a great verse, Taunton added, sensing we had reached a defining moment. Yes, Dickens thought so. Christopher says. And then taking his reading glasses off, he turns to me and asks, Do you believest thou this, Larry Taunton? His sarcasm is evident, but it lacks its customary force. I do. But you already knew that I did. The question is, do you believest thou this, Christopher Hitchens? As if searching for a clever response, he hesitates and speaks with unexpected transparency. I'll admit that it is not without appeal to a dying man, he says. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope that it gives us. Lord, thank you for thinkers like Christopher Hitchens that make us think deeply about our faith. We hope that he is with you in grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.